Welcome to Risky Business with Bo York. I'm your host, Bo York. And today we have a very delayed episode that, frankly, I'm a little embarrassed I'm just now getting this out to you. Before we get started, I want to do two things. First of all, just apologize for the fact that this episode has been so, so very late in getting out. We've been very busy behind the scenes working on the immersive theater project that I've referenced in previous episodes. And there are some very exciting things happening right now. In fact, so exciting. I'm having to kind of ramp up the timetable for what I want to do with this podcast. This will essentially be the final episode of what has been Risky Business with Bo York. Now, don't go anywhere because the feed will still be here. The show itself is going to focus a little bit more on the behind the scenes of what we're doing with the show, as well as discuss immersive theater from an industry standpoint, as well as, I mean, I hope to some extent from a philosophical standpoint. All of this is connected to the mindset that stories have power and the various ways in which we engage with those stories can transform not just ourselves, but our understanding of the world. So for those of you who've been tuning in and have enjoyed the uh, very, very kind of short-lived miniseries that has been Risky Business, I hope that y'all stay tuned because we've got some really great things coming down the line. But now I definitely have to apologize, not just because this show is coming out so late, but because it was recorded forever ago. Several weeks back, I was able to meet up with some friends of mine as we were discussing the then very fresh on everybody's mind controversy surrounding the comedian Hassan Minaj. Our conversation goes specifically into the idea of emotional truth and also audience expectations, specifically in the realm of comedy. What is the expectation for stories to be true versus entertaining? And when those lines are blurred, Whose responsibility is it to recognize the blurring? Elodie Leroy is a humorist, writer, editor. Adam Keeley is a professional stand-up comedian. He's been part of Second City, Chicago, and performed alongside some of today's biggest comics. And despite the moment of this conversation having passed, I hope that you find a lot of value in it. We certainly had a good time discussing the subject, and I think you'll be able to get a lot of value there, too. How disruptive would it be for my toddler to be here? That's fine. That's okay. Okay. I'm house and dog sitting, so there could be a bulldog yelp at any moment. That's cool. My neighbors are mowing and my children are awake, so who knows? Real life. Adam, Elodie, welcome to Risky Business with Bo York. It is so good to see y'all's faces. It's been a minute. I think it's literally been almost a year or something like that. That can't be right. That can't be right. That's why. Is that right? Yes, because well, I remember I, I was making fun of Adam's bike choices and his mm, kombucha. Was it kombucha? Something. No, it wasn't kombucha. Was it? It wasn't kombucha. Hey, we all go through our kombucha phase, man. Don't you need to be proud of that? I'm all right. I, I, kombucha, and I have no issues. It's great for headaches and different light illnesses. But uh, yeah, wasn't kombucha in my house. <laughs> I'm 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 excited to have y'all on. Let, let's just let's just address this. Like first off, we've been trying to record a podcast, like an actual podcast, together for uh, since before the apocalypse, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> so, mm. congratulations, y'all. We actually did it. It's a major achievement unlocked. In all fairness, I feel like Elodie, you've been kind of driving this as kind of a desire, and uh, <laughs> it just never seems to come together. Yeah, because I think I just miss y'all. And then that be just we got we got a baby on board. Nothing wrong with that. That that's part of the reason. That's part of the reason we got some of us have got kids, mm. and then some of us are Adam. So we've like we're, we're wow. 
<laughs> I just miss y'all and want any excuse to make us come together. Oh, I'm here for it. I like it's great. Adam, man, you uh, you know, I know you're like one of the busiest men in comedy. Uh, yeah, and I know this true. because you're so difficult to get a response on text yeah, messages. That, yeah, those are so difficult things. to get on your calendar and everything. <laughs> what have you been up to, man? Uh, a writer, a mother, an editor. Um... You're horrible. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man. Uh, just been doing all kinds of all kinds of good stuff. Serious, grown up stuff, and play around stuff. That's the that's the combination right there. You know, specifics are ah, uh, you know what it is. What does it matter? But yeah. And where are you based out of right now? Because I know you 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 kind of bounce around a little bit. Oh yeah, no, still Chicago, man. Still right. Chicago. Chicago till till uh till some other things pop off. But no, no, no. Definitely Chicago. And Elle, you're still in sunshiny Florida? I am. Mm, I, mean, I have so much pride in my heart that her little ones will forever be from South Florida. It just really that <laughs> <laughs> she can never she can never undo that. It's already happened. I, I can't. Hey, listen, my kids are from Mississippi. So, you know, you, we, we, it's not about where we come from. Oh, it's about go. where we go and <laughs> how we give back to the place that we came from. It's, 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 a, it's a bit of both. I hear that. I hear that. I'm, I'm excited because we've got, uh, you know, obviously with Risky Business, we've been talking a lot about uh, story and kind of how stories come together, the importance of story. And from a lot of different angles, um, obviously, a lot of what I'm doing right now is preparation for the immersive theater space and really kind of taking new forms of storytelling uh, in ways that maybe people aren't, aren't familiar with. But before getting to that, like diving into areas of storytelling that people are f- familiar with, and comedy is a major uh, avenue for storytelling. Now, Elodie, as a humorist and a, a consumer of all things comedy, I'm kind of curious when you think of some of like your top names in kind of the comedic space, who, who comes to mind? Um, I, I really love Joel Coy. I really love Sebastian. I'm going to butcher his last name. Meno, Meno, Menescalco. You know who I'm talking about, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Jerry Seinfeld, of course, always, because his disdain for people <laughs> is just so endearing to me. Um, but yet he has to interact with them. So those those definitely are the top right now that I'm... I'm oh, I like Mo too. Mohammed. I don't know his last name. I really like Mo. And I think the thing that connects all of these favorites of mine right now is that they're relatable, yes. And I believe what they're saying. Does that make sense? Mm. Um, you believe wow. what they're saying. Okay. I do. That's a good so, up, Adam. What about you, man? When you think of uh, comedians and, and specifically storytellers, because I know there's like different types of comedians and different approaches to comedy, but but who, who are some folks that come to mind? I don't know if there's a better storyteller than Dave Chappelle in my, I just, I did I mean, the man can tell a story for an hour in three parts and come back to it. And it's, it's crazy. Sorry. I already, <laughs> I've already, <laughs> already minus five myself. Yeah. I mean, obviously this is tough. I definitely think Hassan, Hassan Minaj is on that list. Obviously. I mean, the empathy that he uh, crafts is really crazy. I think storytellers, I don't know if there's a lot of great storytelling comedians in the newer class. I was trying to think of people because mm. Els was doing like Titans. And obviously I said Dave, which is a Titan, but I was trying to think. Not a lot of guys are really, really like long form storytelling, throwing, throwing punches 
you know, they have they have bits and stuff, but I, I can't think of a lot of people really, really telling stories right now. Gabriel Iglesias is somebody who comes that comes to mind because I feel yeah. like almost his entire set is just long form stories built on top of each other. Yeah. I wonder if it's because TikTok, maybe you mm. can't really do. I mean, what do you have, like three minutes tops? So you can't really, really lean into a long story anymore. But I'm thinking about all the all the comics that I love right now, like the newer generation, and they're not really storytellers. That's really interesting. I didn't think about that. Well, no, that's interesting. So do you do y'all feel like TikTok is kind of killing the long form storytelling in comedy? I, I don't know if we should blame TikTok. Maybe it's like the underlying not get rich or just get famous quickly that causes people not to go through the do you, do you understand what i'm saying like the, mm-hmm. the the need to be viral yeah. would probably be just like okay this is the idea let me just shorten it and just put it out there whereas maybe um people you know like the titans that we've mentioned they carry or maybe around their books and their writing and their does this work and you know what i mean whereas mm-hmm. maybe social media causes you not to have to think that that through that long i wonder if people are more interested even just from like a consumer standpoint on that discovery phase as opposed to the establishment right Hmm. like it's almost like once somebody gets established it feels as though now they've been bought and paid for and so they don't necessarily have the same voice they had or there's more risk involved because they have an audience and therefore they're not quite going in with the same level of energy they had at that discovery phase Hmm. adam i'm i'm curious because obviously with your background you've had the opportunity to work with both newer comics and some more established comics. What what are some differences you've seen generationally there? I mean, I think Els makes a good point. I don't. I think I think there was probably a good five years where, like, older comics were really nervous about social media because it was allowing people to like hyper rocket like a lot of levels, uh, but then. I think what happened is guys started getting on stage and they still weren't ready because you can't skip the reps. You know what I mean? It's not, you know, it's like it's like those videos where people do all the like dribbling tricks. And it's like, yeah, but that's only one part of basketball. That doesn't mean you can go out and actually score and rebound and all that kind of thing and defend. And so I think once it was. I think once it once it was clear that the social media world was going to exist separate, like once those worlds divided, I think it got to like a healthy balance. So, you know, I think, I think right now the older comics are just only worried about uh, dialogue covering the spectrum of opinion. Uh, That's their main focus is just like, if I have to take some arrows to make sure that we're allowed the freedom on stage to say whatever, I'm willing to I'm willing to do that. Whereas the younger comics, I think, I mean, you know, when you're young in anything, you just want to prove that you got the juice. You know what I mean? And so they're just trying to get their bars off, as we all should be. But yeah, I think the older comics are just like they're really looking at it as a legacy of comedy. You know, the big thing, uh, kind of the opposite of like a Nas hip hop is dead type vibe. Uh, and then the younger comics are just, I f- I think they feel free to play. There's some really great new generation of comics you know yeah for sure no that's good you know it's it's interesting you mentioned kind of how a lot of times the skills don't always universally translate and you do see the comics that are able to transition from i, I don't want this to come across the wrong way but you know just being a stand-up comic into being a you know a household name or you know a movie store movie star television star personality of sorts 
And I mean, I can't help but not think about uh, recently on SNL, they had a comedian, Nate. Uh, Bargatze. Cy- What's his last name? Bargatze. Yes. Yeah. And his stand-up comedy is very targeted to people like me. And admittedly, like I find a lot of his jokes funny. And his stand-up was great. And those sketches, man, it's not that he bombed because the premise of the sketches were quite funny, but the dude has no acting skill whatsoever. And all I could think about is like, man, these sketches would be hilarious if Zach Galifianakis was the, like actually the one that was doing them. Yeah. But it is wild that it doesn't translate because, again, very talented comedian, able to kind of craft the scenario scenarios. He's got a personality that translates really well in standup, not necessarily in kind of that larger scale. But you tie it into somebody like uh, Hassan, and we've got somebody now who has this massive uh, ability to be a great stand-up comedian, to be a storyteller, who has that crossover ability where he's a household name, thanks to his roles on The Daily Show, of course, his own series as well. And uh, yeah, somebody who is well-known and, and like I said, a household name. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm with some friends a couple of weeks back. And the, like, you know, they mentioned Hassan in this controversy that's come up that it turns out he was lying about his stories. And suddenly my ears kind of perk up because unlike you guys, I am not a humorist. I am not a comedian. I am a I'm appreciator of of the art form and enjoy stand up comedy quite a bit and really am very interested in the the dynamics that exist between comedians off stage and kind of the way in which that whole community and ecosystem works. I, th- I find it all very fascinating. That being said. When I, I when I heard about you know this this you know this conversation about like oh he was lying about these stories I'm like well, what do you mean he was lying about the stories he's a performer he's like acting right like isn't this isn't the concept is that like he's telling stories not because he's recanting true events but because he's creating art form to entertain and I got a lot of pushback at that at the time now this was like I said a couple of weeks ago before he responded to it or anything else. And I was very kind of adamant about this. Like, look, I, I don't know what the situation is. I haven't heard the stories that y'all are referring to in terms of like, I, I, you know, I was like, give me an example. And nobody could really give me a specific example because, again, the information was quite fresh. And so I started looking it up. And most of what I was hearing, I was like, well, no, I, you know, you referenced Dave Chappelle, Adam. Dave Chappelle has this classic story about like a baby that he sees on the side of the road, right? When he's like driving through the hood in, in, a, in a limo. When I hear Chappelle say that, I don't think that's a true story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I get what he's trying to communicate with that story. Likewise, I kind of always go into every single comedy show or or stand-up special, and maybe I'm just jaded, but with the assumption that nothing that I'm hearing is true. There's probably some truth behind it, but it's a, you know, it's an inflated story. It's meant to kind of have a sense of drama, some theatrical nature to it. It's it's theater. But this is me. And apparently up until this whole situation with the son, I, I didn't realize that I was in the minority there. But Elodie, as a humorist, as somebody who is absolutely brutal with the pen, when you hear stand up specials, when you hear folks and I don't I'm not just talk about Hassan here, but like broadly speaking, do you go into comedy shows thinking that you're going to get, you know, actual historic factual events or do you go for the entertainment? I, I go for the entertainment for sure. But I do. um I do have a, what is it? Artistic, what is like. Artistic uh, integrity. It it has to be there. Um, And I think with me, it may just be with comedy because when I'm listening to the rappers, 
and they're like this, this, and this, and gang, gang, bang, bang. I'm like, you didn't kill that dude. You didn't kill him. You know what I mean? But yet with comedy, I do hold this level of standard of like, you know, no. Um, if you're saying that there's an FBI person in your local mom, that's what happened. Um, now, his his most recent um, one, I forget the name. Is it the King's Jester? Um, he talks about how he had to like, you know, suck the snot out of his daughter's nose at some point. And then I'm just like, you know, maybe he didn't do it with a straw, like he said. But I get, you know, you know what I mean? Um, so there are things that, sure, if that detail was wrong, fine, I don't care. But f- can we all agree, like, if it's if a comedian says something that is true and funny, the truth makes it more funny? Do, do, you, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Anyone can make up stories. Almost anyone can make up stories. Um, but there is a level of like, I like this more because it happened to you. Interesting. No, I, I mean, you're, I think I think you're touching on something that, that's definitely true. That the truth makes something more powerful. And mm-hmm. whether it's a sad story or a funny story or a funny, sad story or a sad, funny story, it's the truth that's there that definitely adds impact or the implied truth, uh, which which might be there. Adam, what about you? I mean, do you, when you kind of see or hear different sets or especially that, that are speaking to uh, personal events in people's lives, especially painful events in people's lives, do you go into that with the sense of like, I, I expect this to be true? Uh, yeah, definitely the source material uh, to be true. Um, I definitely feel like that the root of it, you know, I'm a big person and this is just a me thing. And I've gotten in arguments with very famous comedians about this. I think if a premise is false, I don't, I don't, I think it disqualifies a joke for being funny. If I don't agree with the premise, I think it doesn't matter what the punch is or how funny if it is. If someone was like, you know, black guys always drinking mayonnaise. It's like, I don't care what you say after that because I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I can't agree with you at the root. So it doesn't matter what stems from the root. I just, I'm done with it. I'm tapped out. And so I do think, you know, I do think that's important, but you know, the first, the first solid closing joke I've, I ever had in my life was a story that was based off a real experience, but after time, you know, it's a craft, right? So you're telling the story night after night, two, three times a night when you're coming up, you're finding the funny and you are moving things around to enhance that funny and you are overemphasizing certain details or leading to a certain place as you realize like what hits you know what i'm saying and so the first time i told that story it was like oh that's a good story ha and then you start like you know what i mean playing around with it and the laugh builds and the laugh builds and then oh you get can to I the hear end it? No, it's, no, I don't know. No, <laughs> you, can't, you can't ask him to do that. Yeah, That's, I mean, I mean, I can tell you, you know, whatever. Hmm? Can you text me after? Like, what yeah, I mean, I just, I don't, you know, whatever. I don't. There's, a, this is a family show, uh, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So you know that um, that part is, it, it's you can't get away from that. It's impossible to, and even in our real lives, if you have a good story happen to you in your real life, like a party story that you would tell at a party, the more you tell it, the more it's going to get tighter. It's going to get, you're going to drop off parts that you see people kind of glaze over in their eyes. You're going to emphasize certain, that's just the natural human thing of the repetition you get, you become better at telling the story. You know what I mean? And so it's just, that is the way of the beast. I think 
I know you asked me a large question, not necessarily about Hassan specific, but one of the things I think that, because I had it happen in my life, I'm a very social commentary person. That's like uh, sort of the vein of like where a lot of my stuff comes from. And I was, when I first got, you know, a writing job or it was in a writer's room, you know, I was submitting stuff and the producer uh, was like, he gave me this note that like changed my life. He was like, these are great, but like your first job is to be funny. You can't lead with a lesson in comedy. You're supposed to, you know what I mean? You can write a joke. And then if it has a lesson in it, that is, it's the, it is the, it is the chief difference between a comedian and a pastor. A pastor is trying to lead you to a lesson. A comedian is trying to be funny. If a lesson happens along the way, that's great. But the job, the people are paying to laugh. You know what I'm saying? They're not showing up for whatever. And so I think probably at the fundamental core, like when I watched, when I watched his response video, um, one of the things was, I was like, man, he is overemphasizing the lesson that he wants to take people to. And so that's forcing him in a situation to craft towards the lesson, not craft towards the joke. You know what I mean? Which is why he would change certain things because he wants that emotional pull because he wants the lesson to land. You know what I mean? In the midst of the funny. And that's like a reorienting of the the job of humor, really. You know, that's interesting. I mean, like you think about a lot of the kind of the Daily Show alum, I think, and I, I could be wrong, but I do think that there's like this kind of uh, almost like a John Stewart method of kind of finding that moral center and then trying to build your comedy around it. That you kind of see a lot of people who have had, especially under his tenure or connected to his time there, like some sort of like connection with. Even with Trevor Noah, you can kind of see a, that, that same kind of philosophy that's kind of true to that almost that form of comedy, because there's there's a goal. There's ultimately something that they're they're after there. And it's so it's so palpable to the audience because we want to make sense out of the chaos. That I would imagine it's difficult if you've if you've been part of that solution and you've been part of kind of that story crafting that you want to bring it wherever you go. And I get that, like, you know, something like um uh the Patriot Acts uh Hassan's show is is very much more geared to that, where we have a message that we're building everything around. Whereas a stand-up, there's almost like a different social contract with the audience, but the question is is the audience coming in with that social contract or is he presuming that social contract, right? That like now, okay, things are, are shifted because now we're in a stand-up special as opposed to, you know, something like the Patriot Act where that that's there. I don't know. And I get that that's, it's a blurry line that exists probably for that exact reason. When we were talking about this before, uh, L, you were very much, you know, of the mindset that like <laughs> the man doesn't need to apologize. He did nothing wrong. And I'm kind of curious because that was your mindset before you actually looked into it. And so I'm kind of curious now, where, where do you stand on it all? <laughs> that is true. Dang. Am I <laughs> Sorry. God, yeah, like. <laughs> um, I, I'm glad for the response video um, because it made me feel better about a lot of things. He does have evidence. He does show how maybe wayward the New York article was. There's one situation where, you know, his or not prom date, you know, was getting harassed or whatever. And so I'm glad he cleared a lot of that stuff up because I think that's where people had issues, like a lot of issues, like, you know, oh, but if you're lying and people are getting hurt by it, you know, I can't, I can't rock with you type of thing. Um, but he showed that that's not true. Um, he showed evidence, he had receipts. Um, and so I'm really glad that he he did that. But I, I, I want to touch on the point of 
Adam and like social commentary and like, you know, the job being fun, like, you know, the job, the first job being that you bring the comedy. I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, Cause maybe that's just not who he is like as, you know, a comedian. So when I think comedian, I think, you know, Kramer, um, he is just there for purely, do you understand what I'm saying? Um, so I I don't want to put people in a box and just be like, yo, be funny. Just tell me the jokes. Don't try to explain Palestine to me. You know, don't try to explain. Do you know what I'm saying? Because like the the like way the way the Mo brings his life and his whole like, hey, I didn't have papers for most of my life, and this is do you know what I'm saying? Like I love that. Like yes, teach me something, make me laugh. Because I think in life that's 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 what we go through, right? Yo, man, life is hard. Um, but ha ha, he, he, LOL. Um, so if someone, and so I, I like that you brought it up, Bo, talker and coming. I love that you, you brought it up that the John Stewart alumni type of thing. Um, that's kind of how they do things. And I'm not mad at that because I can't, I actually can't think of a comedian who doesn't do that. Um, I can't think of an audience member who doesn't expect that. Um, Sorry. <laughs> um, so I, I, I really do think it's okay to just be, um, to be two-dimensional, three-dimensional. Um, you have to. I don't know. Because if you don't want that as an audience, you can turn to the TikToks. You can turn to the jokes and the skits and the, you have that. But if you want to be um, talking about all of the things, I think that's okay. Yeah. This is interesting though. <laughs> Cause like it, it touches on something. I think that TikTok and kind of the internet and just like the way in which discoverability has works has made so much worse than it used to be, but it, it has always persisted, which is that the way you get discovered, the way people know you, you kind of exist in that space in their head. And it doesn't matter if you want to do something else. Like the expectation is you still need to be this. Like, so for example, uh, with with for example the the show that we're working on right now uh, a lot of my audience i've got uh, for my personal audience i've got a lot of different groups of people that all know me for different ways from different ways and from different projects and that sort of thing i don't think any of them are going to rock with this project that i'm working on right now which is kind of interesting because i'm trying to to see like who will when once it all comes together um like we've got like there's some very uh, you know, the, the, the Christian audience will look at some of it and be like, Oh, I don't really know with this stuff that you're doing here. I don't, I don't really like this. And, you know, with, with my pipe smoking audience, they're like, there's nothing here for us. Go back to talking about pipes. Like there's, you know, you get kind of like pigeonholed into, you have to kind of dance to the one beat that we knew you from then. And if you do something different, we don't rock with you. And so I could double down and continue on, on those routes, or I could do something more artistically difference that kind of speaks to me where my passion is, but the risk is I lose my audience. I think that at some point you get to a point in your career, especially when you yourself are the product, like a comedian, uh, where it's almost too risky to go where you want to go. Like if you want to step outside of being that social commentator and just be pure comedy, you you probably can't do that without losing a, a large part of your your audience. And I'm not saying that Hassan wants to do that, but I do almost kind of wonder if he, to some extent, feels trapped in that way. Like he has to be this kind of morally righteous voice of you know uh, you know like to his specific audience. 
without being able to kind of, you know, lean in and just kind of tell funny stories. And as Adam, you were referencing kind of work the system, work the craft of like, okay, this story didn't hit this way. Let me change it up. Let me make it this person instead, or let me change up the time frame. Let me make sure this isn't my wife. Let me make, make sure there's somebody else, all of that kind of in the mix. And so he's kind of in this like tightrope from that standpoint. I don't know. It's just kind of a thought. Yeah. And I, yeah, I want to clarify. I don't think it's like one direction or the other. I don't think it's Gallagher or George Carlin. I think one of the reasons why I think like the best social commentators, comedians are the greatest comedians of all time. Cause I think it's pretty much the highest level of your pin game as a comic. Like if you guys go to your local open mic tonight somewhere, it's not going to be guys getting off getting off that level of joke they're just trying to be funny in that moment they're you know what i mean and then as you build your voice you're able to do more advanced things as you know it's like you were coaching basketball you wouldn't let the kids even try some of the stuff that people who are 20 years in you know what i mean are regularly doing because it's just not feasible so i think there's like a dance there but if your due north gets too far off you know then it can get muddled. It can get muddled what comes out. I'm like I said, I'm I'm mostly in the every sketch I've ever written had a message behind it, a strong message critiquing somebody. I've you know, I've mostly 90% of my stuff is that way naturally, but I do also think that like it you have to um you have to like submit to the audience a thing and then they get to give you the whatever and then and that is that's your job. You know, once again, it's like you could be a chef and be like, this is my greatest dish. And if nobody's ordering it, it's got to come off the menu. That's that's the job. You know what I'm saying? You can make it for your friends or whatever, but it's just like that's the job. Now, to Elle's point, I think that's the era of comedy that we live in. There are so many shows that are labeled a, com- a comedy where if you showed it to somebody in the 60s, they'd be like, what? You know what I mean? Like the bear is labeled a comedy. A uh ATO Atlanta, yeah, Atlanta. You know what I mean? And it's just like all these shows are like the hilarious comedy smash hit, The Martian. That was, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I'm saying? So it's just like, I think we are definitely in an era of people understanding like the spectrum of what it means to for something to be a comedy. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think you have to, there's like a interplay there that's like really, really advanced to pull off and amazing when you see people who can do it really, really well. You know what I mean? Oh, you mentioned uh, Mo and how like when you're listening to his comedy, you're learning something. It reminded me of when I, uh, back when Chadwick was on the breakfast club and he was talking about black Panther and Charlemagne asked him, is black Panther a black movie? And his response was the more specific your art form, the more universal it becomes. And it's so true. Like when you kind of speak, when you kind of very much zero in, you're also not just zeroing in for your specific audience, but you're also, especially at that level, inviting in everybody into that specific artistry. And so in comedy where you have to craft a joke, especially if you're crafting a joke to your own lived experience, but doing so for an audience beyond like you know, uh, like from a broader scale, like on a, on a national scale or like for a Netflix special or something like that, you have to be able to invite people into your lived experience, which means you have to educate them along the way. So it's almost as though kind of Adam, like we were talking about, there's also like a natural lesson that's going with it. 
not necessarily with the intentionality of creating the lesson just to, like to teach people about your experience, but it's like, no, literally you won't get this joke <laughs> unless you have some level of understanding. So there is kind of like a nice dance that exists there. One, one um, example that stands out is the show Blackish that is very polarizing in the black community um, because a lot of people don't, a lot of black people don't rock with it because it's just like, well, you're trying to explain our existence too much. You're trying to explain too much. This show is not for me. Whereas I know I, they did a Juneteenth episode um, and I know black people who didn't know about Juneteenth until they saw that episode. So it gets really easy to, to, you know, write people off, you know, write whatever off artists off comedians off. But um, I think there is, it, it is a, a bit of a disservice if you're not teaching in your comedy. It's definitely a waste. And I want to be fair because I think there is room for just to be funny. Um, But do I remember it? Will I remember it in five years? I saw the the most special on Netflix, you know, a long time ago, but I can still remember him saying how his mom had to hide money. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't remember the Drewski skit from I, I, I didn't I didn't learn anything. Um, will I press replay again on it if I see it for sure? Um, but those things, you know, those things don't stick to me. They'll stick for me. So, and when I think about Joe Coy and his stereotype that a lot of Filipinas are nurses, I'm like, yeah, I, I see that. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. I think it yeah. is a disservice. Yeah. Yeah. I went to a workshop, a writer's workshop. Of, I don't remember what it was about. It was about some something in the world of social commentary and writing social commentary. And it was mainly aimed at like people of color and, well, no, it was for people of color. And I remember I was there and some of the people were asking questions and I was just like, what? Like how, like, and what I realized that day was a lot of people like got into comedy or sketch writing or whatever as sort of just silly escapism and not to, and I didn't know that. I thought everybody was wired to like be trying to, it's like rap music, you know, it's like, some people get in it to be like J. Cole and Kendrick, and then other people just want to just be like, bang, bang, shoot them up, snap fingers, da-da-da-da-da. You know what I mean? And those two worlds are so different. You know what I mean? Um, but the spectrum exists. But to your point, you know, I think – I don't want to call one better than the other. I don't want to – because people have gotten really great at doing that stuff. You know, you know, Drewski is hilarious. You know what I mean? His stuff is really funny. But I think the toughest part – and one reason why I never want to try to be overly funny all the time is I don't want, like, you're not, like, just, I, I was saying this to a homie the other day, just because you can make a joke doesn't mean you are a joke. And that's the hard thing about comedy. You know what I mean? Comedians are artists. They're craftsmen. They're no different than poets or writers or whatever. But because it's tied to humor, which we tie to silliness and non-seriousness, you can get lost in the shuffle. I remember... A, a while ago on, on Twitter, there was like a video and Kevin Hart was talking to some business person and somebody commented like, oh, why is Kevin Hart talking about business? He's a comedian. And it's just like, Kevin Hart is one of the best businessmen in Hollywood. You know what I mean? Like anybody who knows that, but in that guy's mind, because he tells jokes, it means he's not a serious person. And it's just like, that's the, for me, the rub of the, and, and you can't fight your pin game though, right? If your pin game is just like Adam Sandler, it is what it is. 
uh, you can't really fight against that. But also at the same time, you know, like I said, it's just it's tough to submit your life to people always thinking you got to make them laugh. and You don't have a valid opinion on weighty things. And that's probably like the cross I wouldn't want to bear at all. It just seems like too much. Well, okay. So I wanted to kind of close it out on on this kind of concept that has been discussed since the uh, Hassan Minaj controversy, for lack of a better terminology. And that's the emotional truth, right? His argument is that regardless of any tweaks made to the jokes, um, ultimately the truth that exists is an emotional truth. And so I'm curious from y'all's perspective, like, because I would, I'll, I'll just say this, I would argue all story has an emotional truth. Otherwise it doesn't need to be told. There's no story that needs to be told that doesn't have some kind of emotional truth, be it a real truthful story or a complete fiction. Um, Star Wars has a ton of emotional truth that's built into it, right? So I'm curious, what is the role of emotional truth in comedy? And is it fair for audiences to seek the emotional truth in comedy or at least rest in the emotional truth in comedy, even if you know the dies are the eyes are not dotted, the T's are not crossed, even if it's not a you know quote unquote truthful or factual story, is emotional truth enough? And Elodie, I want to I want to ask you that first. Yes, that is my answer. <laughs> That's uh, I agree. I and obviously this isn't a hard and fast rule. It's case by case, but I would also. I would submit that it would be interesting to maybe look at other forms of comedy that are more fertile towards the stretching. That's what TV episodes are for. That's what sketches are for. You know what I'm saying? Like there's much more fertile ground for you to just kind of go crazy and do something that no one is. They're like, Oh, you just wanted to, you, you wanted to make this point. I'm with you here, even though it's, you know what I mean? So, um, but I, uh, Oh, Overall, I I do agree. I just would say, you know, sometimes you'd be like, is this is this a bit or is it a sketch? Is it uh, a TikTok? You know you what I disclaimers? mean? Disclaimers? Hang on, hang on. All right, let it be known. Adam Keeley is saying that all comedians must put disclaimers on their jokes. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, <laughs> I will say, but I I will say this, and I didn't get to say this earlier because I was, I really was thinking about today, and you know, in my mind, I was like, how did how did how did he even find himself in this situation? He's a pretty beloved guy. I was like, did he, you know, wrong somebody? Did he? And I was like, how did he find himself in this situation? So I think it's really cool that you brought up emotional truth because this is how I think he found himself in this situation. And as you guys know, I'm very big on making up my own conspiracy theories. So this is the <laughs> one that I got for you today. I think he violated. Uh, he's a brown man, and the race politics of being brown are a little different than being black. So that's the, my understanding. They have some more leeway in certain areas, less leeway in certain areas, whatever the case may be. I think what he did was <laughs> he violated unknowingly, maybe the biggest unwritten social construct of protection in America, which is he was a critical of a teenage white woman. And teenage white women in America are the adorkable, the lovable, the I'm big eyed seeing the world, 16 candles, Molly Ringwald, that genre of women, the ideology behind it, not specifically in the world, but the ideology and how it is predict 
portrayed in pop culture has never really faced any kind of, you know, unless it's like a movie like Mean Girls, you know what I'm saying? But that's not, that's about the whole thing. And I really think the root of it is when he told that story, I don't think it sat right with the people uh, in that, in that writer's but wasn't that thing. story from like years ago? Like that's a day. Yeah. Bitterness will water slow, bro. I don't. I really think. I really think that person didn't like Revenge that story. Is a dish I best served yeah, extra cold. I, I don't think that person liked that story, and I think they were like, I don't know, something feels off about this guy. You know the things we tell ourselves, and we try to make it seem like it's a bigger thing than it is. And then they started poking, 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 poking. Because I don't think they liked that story, man. That story was a crucial part of his like ascension. Right, you know what I'm saying? I thought you were going with he got too close to the Daily Show seat. Like no, that, that man, he was no. too good on the daily. Shift. I think I think he violated a protected class of American ideology. <laughs> and they were like, you you can you can say the system is bad. You can say the FBI is bad. But don't you say that this girl's love was unpure as a 17 year old <laughs> and that she did you wrong. How dare you? We will we will not let this stand. That's my it conspiracy. Is interesting they went after that joke in particular, like as hard as they did, given how incorrect I mean, they were in doing so. You know what I mean? That was because that was the one that I was like, oh, she's getting harassed for this. Like, like that was the one where it gave me pause because everything else I was like, no, I mean, like, you know, you got to you're you're massaging the the story so that it comes across, you know, and, and connects with the audience the right way. I, I had no problems with anything else that was kind of altered in his stories. But when I was like, oh, wait, someone's getting harassed. Oh, that's not. Uh, yeah, that's not cool. But then hey, you man. look and then he's like, no, 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 that didn't happen. They're like, what? Then yeah. It, I don't know. That that was that was bizarre. You can leave it out if you want to. Best served extremely cold, Mr. You can, hat. I'm, I'm not sure I can go with you on that one. You can leave it out if you want to. You can cut it out and it'll be a thing that was just said between you and I. But when Jordan Poole, uh, Jordan Peele, uh, Jordan Poole's uh, for the Wizards, uh, <laughs> I know exactly. Uh, but when Jordan Peele was talking about making Get It Out, he was saying that the thing that he received the most pushback on the studio from the studio was there was no good white person in the movie. In every movie, every race movie has a person who allows people to deflect their like guilt, and they're like, "Well, I would be this person in this." We gotta situation. have our agent Ross, man. We gotta get yeah, our agent Ross it, right, Carter, exactly. Or uh, what's the joint, the NASA movie? And then um, you got my man's like breaking down the segregated uh, bathrooms, uh, whatever the one with Taraji Hint, Taraji yeah. Pinson. You know what I mean? And there's just not that in Get hidden Out. Figures so, is that it? Hidden figures. Good call. Yeah. There's not that in Get Out at all. And in that same way, it's just like you made this person a bad person. And people don't like that because they can't be Hassan in the story. So who can they be? They got to be her, right? They got to be her or her parents. And it's like, where's the friend? Where's the, oh, we had a secret prom moment. Where's the thing where, like, and it was like, no, it was none of that. It was trash. I ate it. And then years later, she swung back around and married somebody from the team anyways. Like, that. that's, that's a risky you know his his delivery is cutesy and whatever, but that's a risky joke to say. So that's the last thing. That's all I got. I wanted to give you one curveball because I owe you. I owe you that. I owe you that as much. No curveball, well received. That's great. Well, Adam, Elodie, thank y'all so much for joining. El, any any final thoughts though? Any any curveballs from you? No curveball. Hassan Minaj will be in Miami in two weeks. I brought my ticket. I will there be there. I'm I'm glad that that instincts played out. And we, we talked about this. He was never going to fall off. He he's too smart. He you don't become a guy like him 
working your way onto that kind of a Netflix show, working your way onto those seats on the Daily Show without just getting the game from top to bottom. Even the way I was blown away by the way that man kept receipts over the years in that video. I was like, he built different. He is built different. Like I've had some jokes where I'd be like, yo, da 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 da, hit up the homie, and that's this is a personal conversation. And that's it. But my man's was like, yo, dot the T's or dot the you know cross the T's dot the. I. It was like, yo, he is really built different. He built different. So <laughs> I never thought, even in all the flack, that. And this is the thing. I'm sorry that I we're running over on time. I'm no, sure. go for it, man. This is the one thing though that I love when somebody gets a little beat up is because it frees you. It frees you to be like, I wasn't gonna say this when y'all was when y'all held me in this regard. I wasn't gonna say it, but now that y'all ain't messing with me, I really feel, you know what I mean. And I love, I love when people get that grit, man, because then they start, they really start, you know. Bill Burr's been on that tear. You he know had, what I, mean? I was when actually just, just thinking the yeah, same. Thing. They try to comfort Bill, and he was like, "Oh, for real? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm really unsheathing the joint right now." So right. yeah, that's it. No, and that's it. That, that, that's the breaking out of the the thing. Like you, I, I was trying to tap dance in the space where y'all all said y'all would rock with me, but the second y'all aren't rocking with me, like, all right, well, here's all the other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, Adam, uh, where can folks find you? Keep up with your your uh, career. How can they travel the world to see your comedy, man? What what do we need to do? Yeah, man. Uh, if you ever in Chicago, hit me up. You know what I'm saying? I'm always I'm always uh, gonna be keeping it low key, but I'm moving around. I got a really uh some really great shows and some really uh great great stuff coming around around the uh, chicago area so if you're in chicago you can look me up uh if you're on twitter and you want to follow the best twitter account in the world uh follow l's twitter account she's very funny uh always has some good things to say um don't follow me on twitter i'm just hate ranting all the time (laughs) just venting uh just dumping bag takes no, no, never bad takes. But I am looking forward to you dropping the the joke that was too risky for risky business into the group chat. That's going to be great. Elle, wow. where can people follow your uh, your your humorous musings? Sorry, um, on the social medias. I love y'all. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Risky Business with Bo York. I've been your host, Bo York, and you can follow me on Instagram at incognito. You can learn more about the projects that I'm working on at interayor.com. That's interayor.com. And if all that spelling is too crazy, don't worry. The links are in the show notes. Be sure to check back in the next few weeks for the latest episode. And until next time, I've been Bo York, and this has been Risky Business.